Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. So um, I want to start by saying good morning, and thank you for being here, and you're crazy in love with Jesus people coming out this morning wanting to talk about Joseph. And I also am aware that there have been three amazing, I've heard about it, classes prior to this one that I was not able to attend, but I've been told that there's a possibility I will be able to listen to them. Please sound men wherever you are. Make it possible because I want to hear them. We've had a lot going on with my mom and uh, my husband. We appreciate your prayers, knees, brain bleeds, all that fun stuff. But God is good, and here I stand, and and here you sit. We've come through it all, and here we are, ready to go. So we're going to talk about the Lord. So in the interest of time, I want you to, if y'all will stand up, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm sorry. Um, Well, thank you. I know I can always depend on Ed to be my friend, always. So good. And I want you to get in your mind and in your heart all these people that you're praying for right now that we would be mentioning in this but we're, for the amount of time, we're going to agree with each other standing up before the Lord today. Because there's all kinds of prayer requests and people's names that need to be said to God and asking Him to do what He does. And we're going to ask it in His presence, because in His presence, all the good stuff comes. Where He is, there's fullness of joy. Where He is, there's healing and deliverance and freedom and every other kind of thing. And we want to pray for the offering that my friend Mr. Wells is here to take up. So that the house of God can keep rolling and keep having Sunday school and church and worship services. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, God. We come before you with thanksgiving, Lord. Thanksgiving for who you are and and how you have been with us from the first moment we breathed breath. Even before then, you knit us together in our mother's wombs. I know that you're with me from the beginning to the end because... You have continually touched my life. You've continually pursued me when I ran from you. You've continually taught me when I was frustrated and I didn't want to learn. And when I did learn, I came to the peace of knowing that you've got me and you've got everybody else in your hands. And so we're coming before you, God, with thanksgiving and praise today. And we're praying for all these, all these people have got other people on their minds and on their hearts. And they're telling you their names And we're asking you to do what you do. We're bringing them to you. We're bringing them in your presence. Asking you to have your way in their lives in every circumstance. We ask you to bless this offering that it will fulfill the needs of the church. We trust in you that you will take care of all of this. And we give knowing that we're given unto you. And we give our attention, our support, our breath, our life finance, whatever it takes, God, for your kingdom, for your kingdom's sake, for your sake. We love you, and we devote ourselves to you, and our hearts are open to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have a stool simply because I'm 58, and um, I usually don't need a stool, but I'm 58. (laughs) 
And I've done a whole lot of stuff in all those years, so I've got it anyway. So I'm basically going to read a bunch of stuff to you that I wrote. Because as God moved on my heart, I wrote it, but I'm not here to just read to you. But God gave, I'm going to sit on this stool now because it feels so natural. It bumped up against me. It's like the Holy Spirit said, here you are, sit down. So here I am. God has been calling us as a church back to the characters of the Bible. He's been drawing me back to the people that I've learned about previously so many times, even when I was a young Christian, and he's been reminding me of things that I understood before, and he's been teaching me some new things. And he's been helping me to compare my life and to examine my life and to realize something huge, and that is he's always been with me and that he's got more for me. I'm not done. Neither are you. None of us are done. Our Wednesday night discussion groups have moved into talking about the characters in the Bible as well. It's been very enriching. The Lord can use many and any and every experience of our lives to reveal things to us. He looks on the heart of man, according to 1 Samuel 16, 7. And he was there. I want you to just, I'm talking to you. Everybody, I'm talking to you. He was there. For every experience, every conversation, every confrontation, he, heard, he was there and experienced every song, show, or movie you've ever seen or heard. He was there when Pastor lost that baseball and helped him find it. He was there when your mom and dad got married. He was there when your mom and dad had you. He was there when you experienced your mom and dad fighting. He was there when you caught the eye of that boy or girl that you thought was so cute. And he's going to be there for some people who are still looking for that cute boy. He was there. He was there when you got that position at work that you had been wanting. And he was there when you didn't get that position at work that you were wanting. And because we know that he was there for every single thing, it's important for us to realize this morning, before I start talking about Joseph, that our God, the Holy Spirit, speaks the language of your heart. He knows how to reach each and every one of us. And because he was there for it all. So he knows exactly what to use to touch you, exactly what to use to speak to you and through you. So as I began praying about this class and asking God what direction he wanted me to go in, he brought the scene of a movie to my mind. And um, here's, the, here's how I know that it was God speaking to me. I was like, I don't even know what movie that was in. This scene just popped into my mind. I hadn't been thinking about this. I didn't even know what it was. I had to Google it. Yeah, that's right. I Googled it. I Google a lot of stuff. Raise your hands if you're a Googler. Hallelujah. Jesus gives us information in all kinds of ways. Um, I was like, what movie is this scene in? And lo and behold, it popped up. This was from the movie Dead Poets Society. Now, here's the thing. I did not like that movie. I did not like it. I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody who did. I can't even remember why I didn't like it. Um, I, my son was little. Maybe it was because the boys were drinking and cussing. I don't know. I have no idea why, but it was about a bunch of boys, and Robin Williams was in it, and he was an English lit professor um, given the task of teaching a bunch of young men about poets. And um, in the movie, um, he was talking, I think it was at the beginning of the year, I can't remember, and in, in the movie he was talking to this group of guys, 
And he was talking to them about this, and they were not really checked in. They were just kind of like sitting there in class, as we often do, you know. We sit in class, drink our water, look at our phone, all the above. We're looking at, they didn't have phones. This was in the 80s before uh, cell phones and fancy tech devices. But that's what was going on. And in this movie, he was talking to them about thinking about and viewing their lives and what they were getting ready to study from a different vantage point. He even made the point of jumping up on his desk in front of them. I bet they had never had any English lit professor do that before. And uh, that got their attention. And as he did get up on his desk, he talked about the fact that from up there, what he could see, forgive me if I'm butchering this movie, don't really care, I'm making the point the Holy Spirit wants me to make. Um, he was from that vantage point, he was seeing this whole room and all of these young men and this whole circumstance from a whole different viewpoint. He was high. He was up high. And what he was talking about to them was um, looking at what they were getting ready to study with new eyes. Um, they were excited by it. They, they were, I'm going to have to move this, Bill, because I'm not doing good with technology this morning. Bill did so good, he loaded it on that thing for me and I got paper. Who uses paper? Hallelujah. Can't turn paper as easy as you can touch that thing, though. So the fact that the Holy Spirit brought that movie to me, I was like, what are you talking about, Lord? But here's how we know the Holy Spirit's talking to us. It makes sense with what else he says. He brings scripture and stuff, and it totally makes sense. And it did make sense because he said to my heart, he said, I want you to look at Joseph and all these old Bible lives with new eyes. I want you to realize that when you were young, married, and reading all these stories, you got things out of them. I fed you with that. But what I want to do now is I want to speak to your heart that's a little more mature. And I want you to remember things that I told you that you've forgotten, and I want you to find out some new things that I've got for you. I want to enrich you with this. So I found that very exciting. So I'm asking you all with me, as we're going to say just a very, very quick prayer, we're going to devote ourselves to looking at Joseph from a different vantage point. Father, we love you this morning. I know we've already prayed. I'm a crazy lover of Jesus like that. I want to pray to you again. And what I'm praying, Father, Holy Spirit, is that you'll fill this place. Let there be no mistake. We are asking for your presence to be in this room. We're asking you to speak to each and every one of us. And we're asking you, God, to show us your vantage point on all of these details about Joseph. And we want to let you know that we're listening. We submit to you and we're listening. Okay. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The telling of the life of Joseph is found in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. He's within the lineage of Jacob, who was his father. Jacob was the guy that was renamed Israel. The nation of Israel is called by his name. So it's pretty, I will say, I should say Jacob was the father of 12 sons and more, but those 12 sons that he was the father of became the 12 tribes of Israel. So knowing that the nation was named after this patriarch helps us to understand the weight of his life. Um, and the story of Joseph is actually the majority of those chapters. As a matter of fact, a couple of the documents that I read about people who had studied Joseph's life said that he's the most talked about character in all of Genesis, actually, for chapters and stuff. So that was... 
pretty interesting and pretty important. Joseph is also mentioned in many other books of the Bible, Old and New Testaments. And in Acts 7, before he was stoned, Stephen gave an account from the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way to Moses. And he brought it around to the point that God has a plan and that God's plan will happen. And after telling them that, pointing out that they had betrayed the Messiah and murdered him, Stephen had a vision. God gave Stephen a vision of the Father, and Jesus was at his right hand. Can you imagine leaving this earth seeing that? And that was right before he was stoned. At the end of his life, Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And following the example of his Savior, he cried out with a loud voice and asked God to forgive the people because they didn't know what they were doing. That's forgiveness. So why am I mentioning Stephen when I'm here to talk about Joseph? I want to tell you why. Because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Stephen, Jesus, you and me, we are all the ones who are following in the lineage of God's people. He is with us all. He has, as we said earlier, he's been there for everything. He speaks our heart's language. And if we're going to fulfill his purpose, it's time to align to his purpose. And we can look at the lives of the people in the Bible and do that. The story of Joseph, the son of Jacob, who was called Israel, is a vivid representation of the great truth that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. Joseph always seemed to do the right thing, but still more importantly, in the whole crux of the story, he did it for the right reason. So in the story of Joseph, I made a bunch of observations. I have 14 pages of notes, which I'm not going to read to all of you. You're welcome. But I am going to flow through the story of Joseph a little bit so that we can get an idea. Um, How many people, but with a show of hands, have read the story of Joseph? You know, you've read it, you've even studied him, you you know who he is, you've experienced some teaching from God about this. So I'm basically just going to flow through a lot that we know already and see if God doesn't bring us a few things we don't know. Something just chimed, I don't think it was me. The first mention of Joseph was in Genesis 30, 23, and 24, and he was mentioned several times in subsequent chapters, but we are really introduced to him in depth in Genesis 37, verse 2. He's 17 at this time, and he's pasturing the flock with his half-brothers and with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, who are also Jacob's wives. This is important about Joseph. Joseph would bring back bad reports of the boys to his father. A lot of people have accused Joseph of being a a snitch or a a goody two-shoes or whatever. But when I read that, I see a young man who knows that as he grows up, he's going to inherit this flock. (laughs) And he knows he's going to inherit this land, and um, he knows these boys are acting crazy, and he has to go to the father and tell him the truth. He's got to go to his dad and say, this is what's going on. What should we do? He trusts his father. Can I get a big amen on that? He brought it to his father. He trusted him, and he told him the truth about it. What would you say? He trusted Israel. Glory, that's a good thing to say. I knew I had to ask you about that. Now, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph. The Bible speaks plainly. He loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. And the Bible says that it was because Joseph was his son in his old age. And what we know is that... um, I'm going to call him Jacob. Jacob invested himself in Joseph because of that great love. So as he was bringing Joseph up, he was sharing with Joseph the things that he knew that God had given him. Jacob had been through some stuff, okay? 
Jacob had not been the nicest boy his own self a few times, uh, and he was sharing with all this stuff with Joseph uh, because of that great love. Um, Joseph was also the firstborn of the woman that he loved, Rachel. Rachel was the one he fell in love with first, and he wanted to marry her, and that's a whole other story. He was tricked into marrying another sister and all that stuff, but uh, he loved Rachel, and Rachel had struggled long not being able to have children. So when she had um, Joseph in her older age, that was special, and we can imagine. And then the two of them had another son named Benjamin. Jacob didn't hide that he loved Joseph. He even had a multicolored tunic made specifically for Joseph. He tailored it to him and gave it to him. He didn't give all the other boys that tunic. So we see the depth of love and trust by the fact that Joseph felt responsible to tell his father the truth about the other young men. And we can see from the character of Joseph as we read about him that he took his work seriously. I mean, he succeeded in everything he put his hands to, it says, several times. And that means he welcomed God and he listened to God. And I believe Jacob taught him to do that because Jacob had to learn to listen to God. His brothers were jealous. That sounds pretty normal. And they actually hated him. We can find that in verse 4 of chapter 37. Um, with, and it even says that they couldn't even say a civil word to him. I mean, y'all remember reading that? They couldn't even speak one civil word to him. They hated him so much. And in verse 7, Joseph had a couple of dreams which he shared with them, and they were prophetic in nature. And we know because we read out the rest of the story of Joseph, and we find out this was prophetic in nature. Um, the things that he said absolutely did come true. But they did not like it. One of the dreams were that the sheaves, they were all gathering sheaves and tying them up, and Joseph's sheaves stood up, and the other sheaves not only bowed before him, but the Bible says gathered around him and bowed before him. You can imagine these brothers already hate this boy, and they're just like, take your coat and get out of here. You know, I'm sure they were really mad. Um, I know that jealousy would be... um, something I would struggle with in the circumstances, I ain't going to lie. In verse 9, the other dream, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were gathering around him and bowing before him. Now listen to this. In verse 10, his father, he told his father about the dream, and his father rebuked him about the dream, saying, am I and your mother and your brothers actually going to come and bow down to the ground before you? That's a quote out of NASB 20. It's important to realize that his brothers were jealous, but after this, the Bible points out that his father pondered this. That's important because we should remember that Jacob was the brother of Esau, and Jacob was walking in the birthright that originally belonged to his brother Esau, who was born first. We We know that story. We'll talk about that another time. But Jacob knew how God can change the pattern of things, how they're supposed to go, by man's rules, and God can change the purpose with his purpose, the order and the manner in which things happen. And we can know that too from this story. It may look logically like something's going to happen away, but God is God. And behold, he has overcome the world. Amen. Jacob knew how things could change. Eventually there came a time that the brothers were tending the flocks and Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers, undoubtedly because Joseph had the integrity to tell his father the truth. We see that they were not where they were supposed to be. As a matter of fact, if you read that scripture, Joseph has to search for them. They weren't where they said they were going to be and he had to seek the answer of strangers to tell him where where his brothers were. 
Um, and when they saw him coming, I'm going I'm to shoot on forward. When they saw him coming, um, their conversation, I, I do have to say this. I was pretty amazed when I read this at what the Holy Spirit showed me. When we get in conversations with each other and with ourselves and we start magnifying the problem, it gets uglier and uglier and uglier. Have y'all ever noticed that? Joseph's brothers started talking to each other about that dreamer, and they were getting madder and madder. The more each one of them talked, the more they fed each other's anger. And well, in a minute, they're like, well, we're going to kill him, and we're going to take his coat, and we're going to put blood on it, and we're going to send it back to Dad. Who's going to say? And they did send it, by the way. They didn't take it to their father in person. They sent it, if you read the Scripture, <clears throat> which is very cowardly considering what they did. I'm sure that they, thought, they probably figured their dad could read them, uh, you know, he was a God man after all. Um, but they just made up their minds right then in the middle of that angry conversation that they were going to take that coat and they were going to put blood on it and they were going to kill that brother and um, send it to their daddy and say some animal ate him, you know, and, and get rid of that boy because he was a thorn in their sides. So they threw him, but so that they wouldn't have blood on their hands. There's a whole lot more to that. You have to read it. So they wouldn't have blood on their hands of their brother. They threw him in a cistern that had no water in it, and he couldn't get out. He was too small to get out. And they eventually sold him to slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Interesting that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. They took that special tunic, and they did just what they said they were going to do. They put goat's blood on it, and um, they sent it to their father, who grieved for him. And um, we all know that this story culminates in them having to come to Egypt to get food from Joseph, who is second in command to the Pharaoh. And I have wondered in my con considerings if they took that 20 pieces of silver with them and bought grain. I don't know. That's just something that I thought of. Joseph was eventually sold to Potiphar, captain of the bodyguards of Pharaoh. That's important um, because when Joseph was in that house, um, as we know, Potiphar's wife took a liking to him, and um, she wanted to be his girlfriend, and she wanted to have sex with him, and he wouldn't. Um, she noticed that he was an attractive and strong man, but I think she was also probably very attracted to his work ethic, what she saw, because he worked his way up in Potiphar's household until he was second to Potiphar. So here is this young guy coming in with all these great ideas, managing the whole household. The Bible even says that Potiphar, all he had to think about was what he wanted to eat that day. Joseph did such a good job. And um, I'm sure she recognized all that. And I'm sure that there were frailties in her. Now, I do want to say one tiny thing about Potiphar's wife. We don't know her name. Um, we do notice that the day that she propositions him, it points out that there were no other men in the house working. Um, Maybe they had all been propositioned before and they knew to stay away from the house. I don't know. But um, we're all very critical of her. But we, what we don't know about her is what her frailties were. We don't know why she did this. And I just would add a side note, and, and the Lord really moved in my heart about this. He's like, don't judge her. You don't know. You don't know what her walk was. I was there from the first day she was born. Yes, she did wrong. You did wrong too. And he really moved on my heart not to judge that woman. So take that for what you will. But he refused her. Joseph refused her, and he even avoided her. And one day when there were no other men in the house, she did come more passionately toward him. And um, he was like, no. And he said an incredible thing. This is, this is an incredible rubber-meets-the-road statement that he makes. He tells her the things that he would. He tries to reason with her, and he's like, you're Potiphar's wife. 
he married you, you all are just the two of you together, it's sacred, blah, etc. But he says to her, don't you know that if I did this, I would be sinning against my God? Not against Potiphar, not against you, not against me. His mind knew that God's law forbid that. And everybody likes to, I'm just going to be a little real here, forgive me. I'm a grown woman, 58, as I said, and I'm just going to be real. I'm sure that Joseph was probably tempted. Here he is, a slave in a strange land, and she's unlikely beautiful because Potiphar's with power. He would get a beautiful wife, I'm sure, because that mattered to them. And it was probably a, a temptation to Joseph, but Joseph is like, ain't no way. I'm not getting the curse of God on me. I'm not breaking my covenant and my covering with my God. Don't we know that that's what circumcision really was? It was a covenant with God. And he had been circumcised, and he knew about that covenant. He knew what that meant, just like David did when he called that giant an uncircumcised Philistine. He knew about that covenant, and he didn't want to destroy that covenant for this lady in her misguided attempt to get rid of her own problems and get distracted from her own problems. The words of Joseph serve as a perfect reminder that we fall in when that when we fall into things that tempt us, ultimately we sin against God and we break our covenant or our covering with him. Um, and I have already said all that, so I will just put this paper down. So Joseph is sent to prison. Now this is important. Uh, I don't know why this stands out so richly to me. I feel like some of you will probably tell me why, I hope. But um, the prison that he went into <coughs> was called the prison of the captain of the guard, which was Potiphar's prison. Potiphar ran this prison. I, I didn't realize this until I read this this time. And when Joseph was in there, Potiphar already knew about his work ethic. And um, he eventually worked himself up to be second to the head of the jail. Now, Potiphar didn't stay there every day, I don't think, running the jail. But he was in charge of it. And he was the bodyguard of Pharaoh. He was the captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh. So this puts Joseph in exactly the right place when Two men do something that highly offends Pharaoh. Who's the, what prison are they going to go to? The guy who protects Pharaoh. So these two guys come to the prison where Joseph is, and Potiphar himself, it says the captain of the, what's his title, Bill, help me, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, I think is what the title is. He was basically in charge of protecting Pharaoh and the men who protected Pharaoh. Told, put Joseph in charge of these two inmates. Isn't that crazy? He put him in charge of the very two inmates. People are, y'all are tracking ahead to the story and you're thinking about what I'm thinking about. These two guys had dreams one night. They both had a dream one night and they were downcast and upset about the dreams. Joseph comes in, he's in charge of them. He's like, why are you downcast? What's the matter? What's going on? And they're like, we've had these dreams and we don't know what they mean. And they tell him the dreams. He gives them, a, he, he says something important though. He says, dreams are God's business. He didn't do like he did with his brothers and say, hey, listen to these dreams I had, y'all. These prophetic dreams, it's going to be awesome. And the brothers didn't think it was awesome. So Joseph, wear and tear, he learned a little bit. He said, dreams are God's business. And he gave them the interpretation that God gave. He gave God credit. When he did, he told the two men, this is important for in a minute. I'm going to try to hurry up. I can't see what time it is, but, you know, long-winded preachers, same, whatever. Um... This is so important because these two men <clears throat> who had this dream, Joseph, humbled himself and he told them his story. 
he told them what happened to him uh, and how he wound up in that prison and how he was falsely accused. You know, how he was sold into slavery and how when he was at Potter's house, he didn't try to rape that woman, but she falsely accused him. And, of course, it was Potiphar's wife, the guy who owns the jail, so he went in jail, you know. So he tells him this, and he's like, when you go back to the Pharaoh, please tell him this my story. So he humbled himself to even tell those guys that because he was in charge of those guys. Consider that for, for in a minute. So they go back, and two years later, <laughs> imagine that, two years later, he sat in jail two more years. Two years later, a situation came up. I should say... We all are tracking, we all know the interpretation of the dreams was exactly, exactly as Joseph had said it would be because God told Joseph what would happen. And um, two years later, um, the baker is dead because of the dream <laughs> was true and, and it happened that Pharaoh wound up having him killed. And the cupbearer hears Pharaoh talking about he's had two dreams. He's very upset he's had two dreams. And um, so now the cupbearer is no longer afraid for his life and just keeping his head down and working, he tells this story. This young Hebrew man in the prison told me my dream and they came true. So Pharaoh, who has already called his soothsayers and all those guys trying to tell him what the interpretation of this dream is, gets Joseph in there. And um, I think there's a wonderful side note and all the ladies in the room will be so agreeing with me. Um, it points out the fact that Joseph was able to clean and scrub himself and shave and put on clean clothes to come into the presence of Pharaoh. I imagine that felt real good after all those years in that filthy prison. I mean, it was deplorable conditions in there. We learn from history. So, having said all this, now we've got Joseph coming before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh gives his dreams, and he tells Joseph about it. And here's what Joseph says to Pharaoh. He says, do interpretations not belong to God? One version says, dreams are God's business, like he said to the other guys. And I think that Joseph may have been still nursing the sting from his brothers and father's reject his brothers and his father's rejection when he talked about his own dreams. He gave them the interpretation of the dreams exactly what God had said, and he gave God's plan to deal with the problem. We know that it was the, I don't have time to tell it all, but y'all know it was the, the seven fat cows came out of the river, and then the seven lean cows, and the seven lean cows ate the seven fat cows, and they didn't get big or healthy or anything. They were still just as ugly as before. And then the grains of wheat the fat ones, the thin ones ate up the fat ones, etc. So what God had Joseph tell Pharaoh was, that's, there's going to be a famine in the land. Seven, you're going to have seven years of, of great harvest, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And here's God's plan. He didn't just tell him what was going to happen. He was very specific. And he said, here's what you need to do. God said, here's what you need to do to protect your people, okay? So um, when Pharaoh heard him say this, uh, me and Bill talked about this, and we're like, wow, Pharaoh was a really powerful guy, and he was in charge of everything. I mean, like, everything. He wasn't just in charge of a factory, okay? He was in charge of a nation, and they had, it was a very powerful nation. So we were amazed that Pharaoh just was like, that sounds good. You just, that, that makes sense. Okay, we'll do that. 
you know, we were kind of surprised that Pharaoh just took him. But I believe God was in the middle of that. Come on, can I get an amen? I believe that God witnessed to Pharaoh's heart. That makes sense. And what he's saying is true. And the, he, the dreams that he said to the other guys came true. They were good and bad. He wasn't just trying to blow smoke and just give them all good news. He told them the good news and the bad news. And it, it played out exactly like that. Pharaoh's eyes are starting to realize, and it points out that Potiphar and others knew that God was with Joseph. There's so many characters, I keep saying, Joseph, Jacob, Jesus, Potiphar, Pharaoh, everybody. But you see what I'm trying to say? He knew that they started seeing this pattern with Joseph. They're like, God is with this guy. And everything that he does succeeds. This makes sense. And I believe that God witnessed to Pharaoh's heart that day and said, do it. And he did. Joseph's life completely changed that day. He became wealthy. He had a powerful position. (coughs) He was given a beautiful home. The Bible points out that he was given clothes and a beautiful wife who eventually bore him two beautiful sons. And this story comes full circle when Jacob hears that there's food in Egypt. And he sends his sons, that's right, the very ones that sold Joseph into slavery, They had no idea they were talking to Joseph. He disguised himself and his voice. He spoke in a language that was foreign to them that required a translator. And he spoke aggressively to them. They were not used to that. But Joseph was their little brother. And I'm sure he feared them. uh, And they had no fear trying to kill him. So you can imagine they were not afraid of him. So you can see how it would be easy after all these years for them to have no idea who he was. Um, You're going to find the information about that this family and all these occurrences in Genesis 42 through 50. I do not have time to share that, all that. But I hope you will study it because it's going to enrich your life. Amen. we got to go back to this stuff we studied before. I want to bring this class to a close by looking back on the troubles and trials of Joseph with new eyes. I want us to realize he learned a lot all along the way as he aligned himself with God, as he fought temptation, as he learned and as he worked hard. He may look too good to be true, but I believe only God can help us to see. And we will do eventually see and do all that God gives us to do, and we will succeed when we do. That's a, I chopped up that sentence, but you see what I'm saying. God will align, if we align ourselves with God, he'll align himself with us. And he will help us in our choices, and he will help us in our emotions, and he will help us in the next way to step forward. And if we obey him, align ourselves with him, and do it his way, we are going to succeed, just like Joseph did. Through his father, he had learned to attach himself to God. He learned faith and humility. He learned to trust God and to do what's right. Um, his father and brothers taught him how to tend the flocks. They raised livestock and took care of their large family. This is what he learned in the family. Through his brothers, he learned that people can be harsh and cold. People can be undiscerning and fleshly. People lie, they cheat, they steal, and they kill. And in the name of pleasure, people do a whole lot of things. People can be very selfish, and a godly person can learn how to tell the truth and work for God right in the middle of all that. Joseph's our example of that. I'm about to cry. What's wrong with me? (laughs) Joseph is our example that we can be in the middle of every bad thing and still align ourselves with God and do what he says and be successful right in the middle of things that nobody else can succeed in. 
And he learned in Potiphar's house how to manage a house, okay? He learned practical things. He learned how to manage fields and crops. He learned how to manage finance. It talks about him taking care of everything that um, was going on in Potiphar's house. He learned how to manage and lead people in that house. He learned how to manage his time um, and responsibilities. And he learned to answer to a master, not just a father. At Potiphar's house, he also learned how to take a stand for God's way and deny the temptation of his own flesh. That is so important. In the prison... He learned how to work with integrity and kindness, even in deplorable conditions. He was kind to those two men that came in there. What's wrong? Why are you downcast? What can I help you with? He learned how to help people when he was already in desperate need of help for himself. He learned how to give honor to God and to ask help for people and from people who really were considered beneath him. It was in Potiphar's house, excuse me, it was Potiphar's house that sent him to Potiphar's prison the same prison that Potiphar put him in charge of the very prisoners that would tell Pharaoh about this young Hebrew guy who interpreted his dreams. In Pharaoh's service, he learned how to follow God. This is so important. Uh, This is so important. Um, I want to really highlight this before we get finished. Um, It is 1045. Give me two more minutes. (laughs) It It was when he was in Pharaoh's house and his whole life changed that he learned one of the most important lessons And that's what to do with success. We think we've just arrived when we get that job, we get that position, we get that money, we get that marriage, we get those kids, we get those clothes, we get the position, all of the above, the power, la, la, la. He was famous. Everybody knew who he was. He was second in charge to Pharaoh himself in that country. This huge, okay? Everybody knew who Joseph was. This handsome young man, he was 30 at the time, with his beautiful wife and children who is secondhand to Pharaoh, who saved all of our lives and had food for everybody. He's famous. He had to learn what to do with that. You haven't just arrived. That may be the hardest lesson of all. And don't we see Jesus himself when Satan's tempting to give him everything? What could Satan tempt Jesus with? The rulership of everything. Because he was the king already, right? So Satan's like, you can have all this power. I'm going to give all this power on earth to you. Well, you can only tempt somebody with what they want, what feels right to them, right? So here we see Joseph with all this success that he always wanted, this beautiful, well-rounded life. So he also had to learn how to be wealthy and famous and powerful and a husband and a father. And he had to learn how to do that God's way. So after learning all of this stuff, God brought him full circle to deal with his own pain and to forgive even the most heinous offenses that people had uh, perpetrated upon him. When you read or reread this part of the story, you're going to see the emotional struggle that was inside him as he worked toward forgiveness and reconciliation with his brothers. Don't, don't, don't overlook that part. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm so happy. It's easy to forgive. I'm so happy now. He'd been through years and years and years of hard work and struggle. And looking back on that stuff, there were probably times that he said the same thing we say. I don't know how in the world God is going to use this. People will say, God will use everything to the good. The Bible even says it. And we're like, well, I don't know how he's going to use this. God cannot have wanted this to happen to me because this is horrible. God can use anything. He can even use a movie that you don't like (laughs) with a a little snippet in it. To remind you of an important thing. Look at me with new eyes. Look at me with your grown eyes. And think about this. All right, let's finish up. 
when we walk with the Lord, our experiences bring wisdom. Scripture points that out. Joseph's forgiveness was born out of that experience with God. He was only able to forgive his brothers when God brought him full circle, and he learned all those things so that he could see that doing it God's way was the only way that was going to really work. And he was going to have to forgive these men and be reconciled. We can see his emotional struggles. As a matter of fact, the first time I read this as an adult, I am not a big crier. You may think I am, but I'm not. Am I, Bill? I am not a big crier. I sat and cried reading this because my heart could see how hard it was for him to be sitting there in front of these guys. And it was killing him. There's this wrestling going on inside of him. They're my brothers. I want to love them. This is how these relationships are supposed to be. Our perception about how it's supposed to be with our kids, how it's supposed to be with our parents, how it's supposed to be with our friends, and the brokenness when it's not like that. And I have to forgive now. God's asking me to forgive these hateful punks who really hurt me. They've sent me spiraling, and now I have to be kind and forgive them and be reconciled with them. So I believe that all Joseph came through is what God used to make him able to forgive those men and to be reconciled. Joseph's response to their fear and shame and guilt of his brothers is shown. It shows his experience and wisdom and, it, and that all of that made a mark on him. The most famous verse about Joseph is Genesis 50, 20, where he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And on those words, he was able to forgive them. He was able to recognize that God's way was higher. He had that high vantage point. God's way is higher. Looking back on all this stuff, now I see that even all the stuff I went through was important. God's way is higher. And that can bring you and me to Romans 8, 28 that says, <clears throat> and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So even when we're going through trouble, even when we're ministering to people who are going through trouble, having this inside of us, this understanding about God, is going to make the, every situation answerable because God is good always, always. I believe that this settled the matter within all of them and between all of them. God will give you something to say sometime in your life, a word of wisdom which will neutralize high emotions and settle the matter eventually. His anointing is on those words, and when you utter the words that the Holy Spirit gives you to say, it's going to change everything. It's going to neutralize that pain and that emotion Let's pray today as we end now for new understanding, new eyes to see the people and the circumstances that we're going to experience around us, and new vision from the vantage point of the Most High, who's made a way for every sinner, and new vision and vantage point for our trials and our struggles and our great successes that are on the way. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful that you give us these examples that are so rich and so full of uh, amazing, amazing things <clears throat> that we don't always recognize. <clears throat> Father, I know that it's on the backside of the mountain that you teach us so many things, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you showed me while I was studying this, this wonderful thing, <clears throat> and I'll tell everybody in this room this while I'm praying to you. You showed me that soil that is covered 
and kept moist becomes rich. That soil that <clears throat> is protected, the, the stuff starts building in it again. And when you dig up that soil after it's been enriched, your plants will grow, you will have more fruit and all of that. Well, we want to be your good soil. And we're willing to go on the backside of the mountain and we're willing for you to keep us moist with the watering of the word of truth so that we can produce greater fruit, greater abundance. We submit ourselves into your service. We submit our minds and our hearts to hear that deep truth of yours, to stand from your vantage point and to understand life from your way. We trust you. And in those times that we just can't see it and we just can't know, we just are telling you today that we devote ourselves to trusting you and watching for you to do what you're going to do in all this. We submit ourselves to you and we tell you today that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.